0: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, January 23rd episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. In addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. Since December of 2018, we have brought to you over 140 poets in 17 countries on five continents, and we hope to continue to do that with your support. And you can support us by going to poetsandmuses.com forward slash donate, and donate via either PayPal or your preferred credit cards. And now let us turn to our poet guest of the week, Elena Hayes. Hey, Elena, thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hey, thank you. Cool. So, you brought with you the poem, The Book of Vashti? The Book of Vashti, yeah. Great. Um, before we
1: get into it, I would love to hear you tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. So, I graduated from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, with degrees in English Literature and Women and Gender Studies, mm-hmm. and I actually moved to this area pretty recently mm-hmm. to be closer to my parents because they retired, so I'm mm-hmm. originally from the Maryland, D.C. area. Okay. I'm Jewish, obviously. <laughs> um, We're very well studied in the Jewish religion. <laughs> <laughs> I lived abroad last year for a while in Israel where I was working at a cultural center in Haifa. Mm-hmm. That's all I can really think about for as far as, you know, myself. (laughs) Okay, well, tell us about this book that you recently published. It's called Eat, and it's a collection of mostly poems and a couple of essays that kind of revolve around the idea of, like, consumption and, like, satisfaction Mm -hmm. in different ways. Like, exploring the idea of whether or not you have something that satisfies you, whether it's in... Your personal life or dealing with uh, different problems mm-hmm. or overcoming things. Yeah. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Where can we find the book?
1: It's on Kindle. If you go on Amazon, you can just download it to your Kindle.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. So if you don't mind reading the poem, sure. and then we can talk about it.
1: Okay. Call me Vashti. Everyone does. Great-granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar, the second greatest king Babylon ever saw. Daughter of King Belshazzar, man murdered in his sleep. Kidnapped princess sold in marriage to the son of my father's enemy. My lineage has seen its rise to power and its fall, much like the wall that once was Solomon's temple. Vashti. People spit my name when they speak it as if I am Haman, then forget about me by the end of the story. In your language, I am villain, vixen vile. I am the constant sin of all womankind, too vain for my own good. This ugly woman with too much makeup on her face and not enough good sense in her head. But in my own tongue I am wished of Wahishti, most excellent, best of women. I am beautiful. This is the kind of name you give a hero or a martyr, one who died with the words of freedom branded on her body, though this freedom was denied her as my martyrdom was denied me. Instead, I died exiled from my good name, the one you keep twisting. Little girls are still being taught to spit Vashti as if it leaves a bad taste in their mouths. As if I was the one who tried to commit genocide when my only crime was daring to believe I deserved a choice in a world that offered me none. And I get it. I am your cautionary tale. Because what good is a trophy if you can't strip it down and set it up on display for all to see? Little girls must be taught to obey or risk losing their heads. Don't be bad like Vashti. Good girls say yes. If I say dance, you dance. If I say strip, you strip. And you never say no because you want it. If I say you do, don't be bad like Vashti, You know what happens to bad girls. And my only crime was daring to say no. King Achashverosh. Haman may have been the villain in Esther's story, but you were the villain in mine. Because you never gave me the chance to grieve the death of my father or the loss of my home, because you never loved me, only loved taking my freedom, because someone taught you that women are toys, something to be collected then thrown out when the novelty wears off. and you, stupid, arrogant king, you believed them. a Rosh, you may be a lion, but you lack the kind of heart that's made out of courage. You don't question anything. you accept whatever is convenient for you, and lions may roar, sir. The cats scare easy. So tell me, when you received my no in the middle of your party, how much did you shrink in its presence? How terrified were you of those two little letters? One consonant, one vowel, so casually tossed out into the air, and you couldn't touch them. That's some kind of powerful, You must have been shaking. You must have decided that the only way to stop something this powerful was to kill it before it could spread. You must have thought I stopped being a prize the moment I learned how to speak, but it's funny because that's the moment I thought I started being one. You know, no one is sure how you killed me. Did you have my head served up on a silver platter? Did your excessive drinking lead to my demise? I hear so many conflicting stories. Maybe your anger and your fists were just a little too loose that night. Maybe it's my fault for being a bad wife. Maybe you should pray, Achashverosh, that they don't remember my name and pull me out of exile with it, that they don't write the story down, that no one ever feels the need to drown out the horror of your name, Achashverosh, great warrior or wife killer, king or coward, the way they do with Haman. And I hope you spin in your grave when they do. I hope the afterlife is cruel. I hope your rest isn't peaceful. I hope you pay. May you know what it's like to spend the rest of eternity exiled from your own name. Thank you.
0: Powerful, powerful poem. One thing I forgot to
1: ask you was, how did you come to write poetry? So I used to write poetry a lot in like middle school and high school, you know, like kind of the angsty stuff that a lot of teenagers mm-hmm. write. and oh, then- I still write them. I still do too but I gave it up after a while because then I remember after high school I looked at them one day and I was just like so embarrassed (laughs) that I ever wrote any of it That I threw it all away and And then I stopped doing it for a long time a couple years into college I started dating this guy that I had been friends with Hmm. for a while and he was really into poetry and he started Mm -hmm. taking me to open mics and then I just kind of fell in love with like spoken word Mm. and then I started writing again oh cool
0: yeah and here I am (laughs) yeah yeah different different ways of going into poetry and going back to poetry yeah yeah if you hear the show often then you also hear a lot of people have meandering ways of getting into it Mm -hmm. and I guess your English lit degree had something to do with it or nothing to do with it
1: mostly with my english lit degree i focused in on uh, medieval literature so that doesn't Mm -hmm. have a lot to do with poetry before i went into that i was very into victorian literature because that's right up against the romanticism and everything Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's a lot of poetry that's really important to that time period Mm -hmm. So I guess, like, I always loved poetry. I never stopped loving it. I just stopped writing it for a while. And then when I found spoken word, I realized that was it for me. Right, cool.
0: Did you compete a lot when you were? Never, actually. I I
1: think I've done exactly one competition and I didn't win. I actually did this poem. Oh, cool. Uh, And that's it. (laughs) Okay,
0: okay. It's tough, right? Uh, I talk about this a lot in the podcast in terms of going into slam, especially with poetry that's very personal in nature, mm-hmm. I mean, even though this is a more uh, biblical tale, yeah, <laughs> I add Torah. How do you say like the possessive of a Torah? Is a Taurus Taurian? I guess it would just be Taurus. Torah's um, tail. It sounds weird. It sounds like a person. It does. I don't know. Say it that way. I've only
1: ever heard Torah Toros. I don't know if there's another way to do it. There probably is because I'm pretty sure Torah, Torah is a Hebrew word. Oh, I'm pretty sure. Okay. But I don't know the plural Maybe Torah. I feel like somebody who speaks Hebrew is listen to this and be like, they're so wrong. Well, you know, okay, if you
0: listen to this, you think we're wrong, right? In
1: Because there is a love to hear that. My Hebrew is really bad, so yeah, I can't say okay. for sure. It's okay.
0: Speaking of medieval literature, I heard something. I mean, the, you had reference Head on the Platter because I, I looked up Vashti mm. <laughs> after listening to your poem and there was really not no information about how she
1: died. Yeah, and that's part of the reason that I wrote it the way I wrote it because the story of Esther, the book of Esther, is fictitious. It's a myth. Mm. There is like truth to it. Like, I believe he they are pretty sure he was based on King Xerxes II. Vashti is was, was based on that king's wife. The name Xerxes means lion, and when I was doing my research for the poem, like, that's why I called him a lion later on. Okay.
0: One of the reasons why I mentioned medieval literature, because medieval literature tends to invoke John the Baptist a lot,
1: and that's you true. had that
0: imagery of the head on the silver platter, and the fact that we don't really know how she...
1: Yeah, that's actually a good point. I hadn't thought about that, to be honest, when I wrote it. But so part of the reason I did that, the way I did it, is because there are versions of the story where she's beheaded and then Mm. her head is presented to him. Mm. And then there are also versions where she's, like, exiled. I think that's the more kid-friendly version, (laughs) which is kind of, like, why I also involved that whole theme of exile with her name. Right. That's one of the reasons. But...
0: Well, also, her name is not... It is being... Even currently, if you don't read into the feminist interpretation of the story it mm-hmm. is still exile as you yeah. said the little girl spitting out her name
1: yeah and then also part of the reason i chose to do that with her name was because in the holiday of and in the story of esther Haman who is the bad guy in mm-hmm. Esther's story the whole idea is every time that you say his name you're supposed to make a lot of noise to drown out his name because it's evil so you're mm-hmm. kind of distancing him from his own name right, right. so I wanted to like keep that theme in my poem as yeah. well with Vashti because I feel like both Haman and Vashti are treated like bad guys in the story mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but Vashti's reputation as a bad guy is kind of undeserved
0: Right. do you mind giving the listeners a synopsis of the story because I don't think most people know the book of the... Esther? yeah or actually the the story of Vashti, which is probably much bigger than the Book of Esther, Or yeah. no, smaller
1: than the Book of Esther. Well, I'll just tell them really briefly what sure. Esther's story is and then Vashti's. So the Book of Esther is about the kingdom of Persia. There's It starts off with Rosh, the king, who's married to Vashti. He throws this big party. He wants, his, wants her to dance naked for him and his friends because they're all drunk. And she says no. And there are a lot of different versions as to why she says no. But ultimately, because she says no, she's killed. Mm-hmm. And then the king holds a contest to find his new queen, and Esther ends up being that queen and saving all the Jews of Persia from being killed by Haman, who is the bad guy in her story. Mm-hmm. But that story never really uh, goes into depth of like what happened to Esther, how she even ended up being queen in the first place, mm-hmm. or what her life was like. She's just this terrible wife who says no to her husband, so she has to be killed. So <laughs> I decided to try to research her a little bit, because she is becoming kind of like a feminist icon for Jewish women, Mm -hmm. especially now. Obviously, she's not a real person, but she's based on real people and she's based on real things. And there are a lot of texts that, you know, talk about the story of Purim. So if you go back to the Midrash, which is from the Middle Ages, mm-hmm. she has a bit of a lineage that's kind of addressed in the Midrash, which I added to the beginning of my poem. Like, mm-hmm. She's the daughter of a king and who's murdered, and then her great-grandfather was, like, the greatest king of Persia or something, mm-hmm. so that's how she ends up being queen. Mm-hmm. But we never really, like, learned too much about her, and I think the point of my poem was not only to, like, address relevant current issues with an old story, but also to like give a voice and a story to someone who never had one. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. and what made you decide to write this particular poem?
1: So at the time, I was still in school. I remember the exact day that the idea of the poem popped into my head. I was working, it was like a couple years ago. I was working at the Jewish Museum of Maryland, which is in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. I was a tour guide there Mm -hmm. and an educator, so, like, I'd give tours. I'd also work in the back offices, like, doing research and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting in the back office, and they have this big poster of the story of porn Mm -hmm. that's, like, literally right above where my computer is. So I was, like, looking at it one day because I think I just finished whatever I was working on, and I was a little bored. Mm -hmm. (laughs) At this time, I was also working in another, like, Jewish nonprofit organization that, um, Put on a women's group called Rosh Kodesh and we had just talked about Vashti and uh, Esther and the whole story of Purim mm-hmm. and how Vashti is kind of like an unsung hero in her own way mm-hmm. and I was like sitting there and I just kind of like had a light bulb moment I was, like I just had something to say about her and I just started writing it like I just like jotted down something real quick before I went on to di- like do my next next task at work mm-hmm. and then I remember like trying to get home so I could, like, sit down with my notebook and, like, do some research on the computer, and then, like, a few days later, I had this poem. Wow,
0: wow. Well, you had mentioned that when you read this, when I met you, that this is about domestic violence. Were you thinking of anything contemporary, or were you just
1: looking at the
0: analysis of
1: her own story? Well, I think if you put her story in context of, like, contemporary issues, it speaks a lot towards rape culture in America Mm -hmm. and the idea of consent. Like, this is a woman who was killed because she didn't want to walk around naked in front of a bunch of men, even though her husband told her she had to. So I feel like that's very relatable in the sense of, like, women being taken advantage of if they're drunk, Mm -hmm. or in other, like, instances, like, we hear all the time on the news, like, this woman was raped here or there, and then the guy gets off because... You know, it's her fault that she did it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: like, it's her fault because she was drunk, or it's her fault because she was wearing a dress, and it's Vashti's fault because she's supposed to listen to her husband.
0: Right, yeah, that's the traditional version of
1: the story, right? She's a bad queen
0: because she didn't listen to her
1: husband. exactly, and I also, I think when I was thinking about the poem, I was thinking about... Like, when I was little and I used to be in Hebrew school and we do, like, celebrations for poor and we put on a play. Mm-hmm. And I remember one year being stuck with the character of Bashti and I didn't want to be Bashti because she was the bad queen. And I remember, <laughs> like, thinking back to that and it's something that we kind of instill in girls at a very young age. Mm-hmm. It's like, you don't want to be this person because this person doesn't obey her husband, so she's not good. <laughs> she's ugly and bad. And I guess I was just thinking about all of that and I just felt like she was wronged and, like, that portrayal of women is really toxic to all girls including Mm -hmm. me and i just wanted to do something about it okay cool
0: when i was reading up of her story i saw that quite a few poets have addressed her story as well and it's really interesting yeah yeah did you look at those when you were writing yours?
1: no actually so i wrote this poem kind of towards the beginning of like me re-getting into poetry Uh So I wasn't very aware of that many, like, modern poets at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a lot of it I found after the fact. Like, after I went to open mics and I started performing it, and then I'd have people be like, oh, you should read this, or you should read this book because it really relates to your poem, or you should look at this poem because it really relates to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. She's been apparently the, the muse to several
1: poets as well as other artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like she's... Just like I was saying before, she's really become like a big feminist icon for Jewish women. Yeah. Because a lot of people are looking at that story now and realizing vilifying her doesn't make any sense.
0: Right. Well, and not just now, not just in our time, but before that, you know, because her story is quite old. Mm -hmm. So for women throughout history who, where Bible is both Old Testament and the New Testament, have been the sort of the elementary level of, of education for them, a lot of strong women have questioned throughout history why was she considered bad
1: yeah they tried to make different arguments for why she's bad over the years like there are some versions of the poem story where Vashti is turned into like this anti-semitic yeah kind of like anti-hero figure but that's not how the original story was that was just Mm -hmm. like way of making it okay to vilify her
0: yeah there there is that xenophobic element to it right yeah it's saying that oh she's a person and she was trying to
1: yeah but see that's like added in later as like a way to justify yeah making her the villain yeah
0: yeah
1: which i don't agree with
0: (laughs) no yeah that's the thing a lot of history is done that way as well it's Mm -hmm. like oh, and now we look at it this in this way that's convenient for our conscience mm-hmm. things like that. So I found the story incredibly interesting. I really appreciate you reading it. So, you know, through you I found out about her because yeah. I'm not as familiar with any of the testaments. <laughs> and,
1: I mean writing about her Forced me to become more familiar with it too Like when I had the idea I didn't know nearly as much about her mm-hmm, As mm-hmm. I learned by writing the poem Right, right
0: yeah. Like what sources did you
1: consult? I mostly, like, did Google searching, and then, like I said, I was working for a couple of organizations at the time, mm-hmm. so I would talk to different people, right. and just make sure I had my story straight, because <laughs> they like, <laughs> remember when I was Google searching, I got really confused at first, because I was looking around, and like we talked about before, there's so many different versions of her story, and just yeah. the story in general, that I just kind of, like, didn't even know where to go with it, and then mm-hmm. I would sit down and talk to like I knew a couple of girls actually who were Persian Mm -hmm. and the word like I was like asking them how to pronounce it Mm -hmm. and I was like double checking with them like if they knew that's what it meant like because I think I found them at that like the words originally on Wikipedia which Mm -hmm. Wikipedia can be a good place to start but it's not always the most reliable source of information (laughs) it's a good place to start and maybe get some questions so I, I started with searching around the internet and then I moved on to like real people that I figured knew the information well enough they could help me like my boss at my one job at the time was actually a rabbi okay so I talked to him about it and Mm -hmm. just different stuff like that
0: okay wow cool did he point you to some good sources as well nice Nice.
1: I don't even remember all the books he gave me like a whole list I don't (laughs) even think I went through the whole list
0: yeah well I don't think a lot of people realize that when you write poetry as you write anything you know especially when you want to tackle certain cultural historical mm-hmm. elements you really do need to do your research
1: yeah the best source i think for vashi's story be- is the midrash Mm-mm. because that's the one where you're going to get the most information on mm-hmm. her but in general it's hard with like with stories that are more myth than reality it's really hard to like nail down yeah like exact facts because there aren't any right
0: right and midrash is the book the that- is it the book that's read during yeah. Yeah. Okay. I okay. Yeah. Midrash is different from the Book of Esther?
1: Midrash is the book. Well, Yeah, it's the Book of Esther.
0: Okay, so that's...
1: Yeah, I think it might have a little more. I haven't read it in full, so... Okay. <laughs> but it might have a little more to it, but it's essentially okay. the same
0: thing, yeah.
1: yeah. That's interesting.
0: How many times have you performed
1: it now? This poem? Not that many times. when i was still living on the east coast right before i moved to israel i was working like three different jobs in three (laughs) different cities and i was still going to school at the same time and i was going to school in a different city than all the other places i was working so i would jump between like annapolis dc baltimore and columbia Mm -hmm. for all of this stuff and so i'd be spending hours at a time in my car so whenever Mm -hmm. i wrote a poem like any poem including bashi i would like Spend so much time like practicing it in the car until I had it memorized. Oh, nice! Because I had all this free time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I did with it. When I perform it, I still mess up sometimes. Like Mm -hmm. the last time I performed before you saw it, Mm -hmm. because I get so nervous sometimes. I was on stage Mm -hmm. and I was so nervous, and I knew the poem, but I got up there and I like stumbled my way through the whole thing. It was so bad. Like everyone was so nice about it, Uh, it was was bad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Sometimes. I'm, I'm used to getting on stage, um, but once in a while, I don't know why, like last month yeah. I was on stage and I was like,
1: why am I frightened? I don't understand this. Yeah, sometimes I get on stage and it's really easy and I'm just like, I've got this. And then yeah. sometimes I get up there and I'm like shaking. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's
0: really strange, right? Yeah. And how long ago did you write this? It's been like
1: two or three years, but I didn't really do any open mic performances when I was living abroad oh okay. so that was a year of no performing poetry right but there um, have also
0: been open mics hmm. and hi-fi
1: maybe. i mean there are so there was like a little place i used to go to it was like an art gallery and they'd be open at night to do like music jams and i'd go there and sing sometimes but mm-hmm. there i never really found like a place that was easy to access all the time right, to go okay. do open mics so i just never did it
0: oh okay okay yeah, speaking of singing, you have an amazing singing voice. Um, oh, thank you. What's, what's the story would that? Tell us.
1: The story of my singing voice? <laughs>
0: yeah. This, <laughs> it's, it's a sounds, short
1: story. <laughs> it sounds practice, so. I did chorus in middle school. I did musical theater for a really brief time in high school, and that's about it. Oh, okay,
0: okay. You have a very beautiful, strong voice. You You hit all the notes.
1: As far as I could tell, because I didn't know the song. Well, I made up the song, so... Oh, wonderful. Then you hit all the notes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wrote that song that you heard for my mom. I am actually currently trying to like i have a friend who lives in new york who plays piano i don't play any instruments Mm -hmm. so i'm trying to get more into like lyric writing too and she's been trying to help me like put like my songs together like um with an actual instrument in the background i'm trying to find someone in this area who might be able to help me because i would like to eventually like write and make some of my own songs oh cool
0: yeah well uh, there's a lot of musicians i mean even on this podcast there's Mm -hmm. a lot of poets who are also musicians that you can access, and, like, the open mics that I talk about, a lot of them, mm-hmm.
1: you know, Yeah, a lot that's, of them
0: except musicians as well, so you'll find them.
1: Yeah, there. that's definitely one of my goals, like, as I get more involved in the community here, is to find yeah. a musician. Yeah, I mean?
0: <laughs> and there's so many things going on, I mean, just, like, just on poetry itself. Yeah. So many things going on. Yeah. When I read them sometimes, I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah. Why, why does everybody pick that particular favorite day?
1: Yeah, I remember when I was listening to one of your podcasts, you were like listing out all the things that were happening that week, and I was just like, oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's insane. I think every
0: day um, there was something, like multiple things going on. Mm-hmm. Basically, everybody tries to cram everything into the winter months. Yeah, cuz
1: it's hot during the summer. Yeah, the
0: summer people just sort of hide Yeah. <laughs>
1: that makes sense. So. I understand that. I've been there. Yeah.
0: Um well, I pretty much picked my poem when I heard your poem. I was like, yeah, yeah I want to read that. Poem. I really
1: liked your poem when you performed it. I liked it. Like I didn't remember everything into like all the parts. I really remember the ending when you were performing it. Like mm-hmm. it stood out to me a lot. And then when I was rereading it, I was just like, yeah, the ending is great. So, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> And I forgot the name of my own poem. Eh, Women's Rage, is that what
0: it is? Yes, Women's Rage. I forget that. So I'll read that. Whispered in a hush-hush, let society's judgment glower. Deems this unseemly. This is not within your assigned perimeter. The propaganda wags its disapproving finger. Men don't cry and women don't shout. But I scream, I scream every day from blinding rage, while afraid of the powers that committed us to institutions as cases not worth the investigation. Exposed to dangers they cannot see, therefore must be non-existent, therefore we must be wrong to insist for our safety or even the feeling of safety. You must defend yourself with grace. Now that you've issued male guardianship, we still expect the utmost dignity from all of our ladies ladies a curse word if i've ever heard one from a firm believing the portrayal of female perpetrated violence in her own self-defense so vile that a show that teases the nuance of this subject must be permanently cancelled but never pulls funding from superhero or male action movies with men needing to exact extravagant vengeance over the death of their families see how they care for us by the death toll in their wake. Ladies killed, raped, and tortured to motivate heroic murders by our men also our killers, not to be mentioned in the same breath. Everyone saw it coming, but those maintaining the appearance, our reality has no relevance to their illusions. Those whose destruction is sanctioned violate societal norms she betrayed, she strayed, she desired too much, she cared too little. There are always reasons a ready font to be tapped, but he we forgive to whom we must open our hearts on a post trained to accept our violation, where there are no excuses we must learn to invent in our minds that must be the limit of our ambition. Behind every great man is a great woman. See how we've been appreciated so long as we stay behind and dare not reach for equal partnerships. Let him shine. Let him get all the credit. If he offers us praise, if he offers acknowledgement of our sacrifice, we must quiver in gratitude. We must call him progressive, our minds colonized for eternal bondage.
1: So what inspired you to write that poem to
0: tell you the truth i can't remember even though i wrote it recently because i've been writing these sort of poems a lot Mm -hmm. not just because of me too but also because i also went through trauma assault and subsequently all of these people trying to excuse the perpetrators uh, actions and also trying simultaneously trying to blame me for what happened even though because I'm familiar with these cases previously my mind was saying, no fuck that still it takes a toll and it's like you're being gaslit
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and this is all happening while the Weinstein case is happening so it's it's just a time where I'm like there's this incongruency of on the one hand there's this progressive movement that's like a tidal wave that's taking place on the other hand there are these people who are still using the old excuses and speaking of old excuses one of the things that i find incredibly aggravating is people saying oh the times are changing as if somehow men were all just rapists throughout time until we hit 2017
1: you know it's, it's exactly. just like Or like women were never mad before now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, there's just like all kinds of, oh, why did you do this? Why did you do that? But people always have the benefit of hindsight and not being in the situation Mm -hmm. and not wanting to make the effort of trying to understand. So that's sort of the main driving force. I was in Uganda at the time when I wrote this particular book. Yeah, I I went to Uganda to um, interview poets. Oh, wow. And some of the culture is very male-dominated. And also, I ran into some people from Asian cultures who were very traditional in their outlook. Again, it's not fair to say traditional because there are plenty of people, men and women, who do not condone this sort of thing. But they were also gaslighting on things that were happening uh, not in this particular vein but still it's just the gaslighting aspect of it it's people trying to make you lower your standards more for their benefit than mm-hmm. anything else it put me back in a, a very like mentally in that traumatic state again and i felt like all the psychological work i was doing to heal was sort of being unraveled by all these gaslighting events that was taking place so I wrote several poems around this particular subject and this one there was this show it's called Dialand it was on for one season and it's about this woman who would work for a fashion magazine but her body type did not fit that typical image so she was never in front of any cameras or anything like that And she herself has uh, body image issues and she was trying to earn enough money to get herself the surgery. In the meantime, sort of the fictional Me Too was happening in that world as well. And there was a militant women's group who decided to start just like taking matters into their own hands and started killing the men. And it was very interesting because of how I was feeling at the time. While I wasn't condoning the violence, I thought it was interesting to explore the idea of that and explore how they were being viewed mm-hmm. doing these things and, and the betrayal and the dynamics and the privileges of different classes and races of women within that show dynamic. And it was starting to become incredibly interesting because they were both racial and classes dynamics going on a lot of intersectionality Mm -hmm. going on that they were exploring that i thought would make an incredible second season but that show got canceled and i also like watching superhero movies at the same time yeah i also look at them as something that basically reinforces a lot of societal stereotypes Mm -hmm. and they also tend to tell the same stories yeah. all over and all over
1: again. Have you seen a, sorry have you seen Endgame? Yes I have yeah. I have such problems
0: with that when yeah. I just talk yeah, about Yeah your,
1: <laughs> your poem made me think of it because like the part you're talking about how like they go like on a, like a vengeance spree like for their families and stuff it made yeah. me think of how like Black Widow died and then yeah. what's his name I don't even care about him yeah yeah he like you know he turns into like the bad guy because his family's gone he's all brooding and i was just like yeah that you nailed it i actually wrote a poem about that oh so your poem made me think about that
0: yeah right
1: and i was so pissed that she died because yeah, she's the only a
0: female character and the and the she was original
1: she was the original like female character in that group and they killed her off
0: yeah and and also she, she fits into this type where she cannot have children And even when she was fighting with him to be sacrificed, the excuse was, oh, you have a family or things like that.
1: And I was like, "Uh, you can have a family too adoption yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's like she kind of has a family anyway she has like all you know the whole team that she's part of yeah how do you define family why is his life worth more than hers yeah and it really it really bothered
0: me that they decided to kill her off and your poem made me think about that movie a lot (laughs) (laughs) and i was also thinking of john wick movies and i also noticed over the years that Male actors of a certain age start doing
1: action movies. Yeah. Like when they hit 50, they it's, have to do action. It's movies. like a typecasting thing. It's <laughs> like they're not pretty and young enough anymore for like the romantic comedies. So yeah. now they have to be like the tough guys.
0: Yeah, it's for like male actor Hollywood way of fighting male aging or something yeah you know it's like we're gonna go out fighting and until at the expendables it's sort of like yeah. such a like a caricature of exactly that mm-hmm. and i was mean, just like for God's sakes it's interesting because it's not talked about on the surface because men worry about aging as much as women do but women in a way women are allowed to worry about aging which is sort of nice but at the same time we're also not allowed to show age
1: well i think the thing yes both men and women worry about it but from what i can tell at least like the problem with aging as a woman is the older you get the more invisible you become as far as like media goes and like yeah. representation like yeah. you just you don't have that anymore
0: yeah and they they sort of push you out of the yeah right it's line. like
1: as you get older you stop existing basically yeah
0: yeah yeah and and i think a lot of female actresses talk about that i think now that we're talking about a that society is talking about it you see more commercials that have age-appropriate women like it's always funny to see a 20 year old pushing anti-age
1: cream serums yeah my mom always points it out like whenever they come up on tv and she's just like oh yeah she looks like she's barely 30 <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: again it's sort of these societally condone ways that women and men can fight aging you know mm-hmm. it's like you must do it this way and men you must come out and start killing
1: people. <laughs> yeah. I think the biggest thing, like, the superhero type movies or those action movies... Do is they kind of reinforce this idea that like as a man, in order to deal with any kind of grief, because most of those situations, like the guy always like lost his family or his wife or something. Yeah, It's yeah. so like they have to go out and kill people and be like tough and bury their feelings mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. anger. Whereas like if you put a woman in that position in the reverse situation, she wouldn't be running around like killing people and like being tough and angry, she'd probably be crying. <laughs>
0: yeah, and they wouldn't accept it. They they yeah. would not accept it as an excuse to act out, yeah. even though certain in women re- Forces,
1: I think action movies are like gender stereotypes. Because yeah. you don't see women doing that, even when you see action movies with women, you don't see them doing those types of things. Like their motive mm-hmm. that is never their motivation. It's like, oh my husband and family are gone, therefore I must kill everybody. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> there now, especially movie that you know you hear was originally written for a man, but then they stuck a woman in the row, then there's similar stories there are now. But before when women get angry, it's because somebody was messing with her baby or you know mm-hmm. so it's a different it's like women can only get angry and people are coming after her
1: mm-hmm.
0: children or something there are certain prescribed you know parameters yeah and this is I, i'm just like no we, we are angry all the time yeah <laughs> and we are not allowed to show it because society keeps and that's both men and women tell us it's not okay to show uh, our feelings in this way this is a particular path expression of feelings that we're not allowed to have yeah and of course i also talked about the institutions the institutionalization of women which is still happening is that the fastest way that men or society tends to dismiss women is to tell her she's crazy
1: yeah i i've written stuff about that i don't like that yeah that, that's like something that really really bothers me it's like whenever someone makes you feel like you're crazy
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. we only do that to women I don't understand it I wrote another poem called Pandora's like Py- Pythos mm-hmm. so uh, it's kind of like in the similar vein to like the book of Ashti, where I was mm-hmm. talking about like this whole idea of calling women crazy in order to kind of dismiss them yeah yeah
0: exactly it is that again it goes back to the very old stereotype of thinking somehow women's minds are not as equal to men's minds whereas i'm like are you kidding me if you need women to be responsible for your behavior if you cannot help what your body what your extremities will do when you're in front of a woman then you're the one who should stay home who should never be allowed to go anywhere in public, because obviously you have self-control issues. We are always cast in this role of mother, you know, not just to our own actual children, but to the men in our lives. We have
1: to take responsibility for everyone.
0: Yeah, which is like, no! I mean, why why is there our responsibility? And and at the same time, we're not being recognized for those responsibilities Mm -hmm. We're we're told that we are not good enough.
1: Yeah, and then when someone else does something that affects us, we're blamed for it. Yes, yeah. so we take all the negative impact of the responsibility, but none of the positive impact. Of right, us. right.
0: It's not like nobody pat you on the back for you know, like
1: yeah. <laughs> no one says good job not like getting raped tonight, but like as soon as it happens, it's like it's oh, all your fault.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like you did not do this perfectly, yeah. and everybody who comes in contact with you who says that has a different standard of what is perfect. Yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> yeah, so I just so frustrated and similar to yours as well, in terms of the, the domestic violence, so little triggers that there's such a low threshold to a society accepting how women are being killed.
1: Yeah, and it's just too common.
0: Yeah, and it, it's- It's terrifying. <laughs> it is really terrifying because it happens All the time. I mean, just most recently, there was a woman in India who was a uh, gang rape victim on the way to the court to testify. The guy who raped her, one of the guys who raped her, who was able to get bail, led a whole bunch of other people to basically put gasoline on her, burn her to death. Mm -hmm. And then she had to walk more than something like two kilometers, which Mm -hmm. is more than a mile. And nobody
1: helped her. Yeah, it's bad. So I remember, well, because I used to live near D.C., like, watching the news in that area, I remember seeing on the news one time this guy who, like, stabbed a woman on the metro because she turned down his advances. <laughs> or there was this guy who, like, I guess it was early morning, and he was driving on the road, and this other one was driving in her own car. He ran her off the road so that he could sexually assault her.
0: Oh, my God. So, like,
1: terrible things happen, and it's just so common that it happens to women. It's concerning
0: yeah and people in authority positions do not take it seriously Mm -hmm. and that's why a lot of the times there are no rules that help women that help to remedy these gender-based violence problems Mm
1: -hmm. when
0: they are still smaller problems uh, until you know people are killed So many domestic violence-related murders are the result of repeated harassment and escalation, and that could have been stopped Mm -hmm. if the authorities would have stepped in to do something, but they refused to. I mean, a few decades ago, it used to be, oh, because it's your family's problem, we don't take care of it. Now, we're like, oh, you didn't do enough. It's It's like the police is just waiting for you to actually be maimed before they actually do anything. And it's horrifying. At the same time, I mean, you hear about all these police killings of unarmed, people of color and you're like oh so you understand this you concern for your safety thing right you use that you kill you'll kill people yeah
1: well they're using power to their advantage and the other problem i feel like with our like system our justice system is that we're not proactive we're reactive so mm-hmm. we don't the way it's set up we don't do anything until after the fact because we react to it we don't prevent it, we just wait for it to happen, and then we're like, okay, now we will persecute you. (laughs) Right,
0: right. And, And the problem is not people use the excuse of, oh, we assume innocence until proven guilty. But I think people fall back on that. They use that as a leverage rather than actually believing in the principle of Mm -hmm. it. Because especially dealing with sexual violence or domestic violence, just because they say, oh, we assume somebody's innocent until it's guilty, yet they assume the woman is lying until she's proven not to be lying, which is like, no, it's not one or the other. It's not like you're saying you believe in the person who says, oh, I didn't assault anybody. And therefore, you must think the person who's saying she was assaulted is lying. You have to believe that there's just no conclusive outcome in either way. And yet, Mm -hmm. somehow people just don't have the, like, mental capacity or something, or they don't Uh, think of it that way.
1: Or even when, because a lot of those kinds of cases get thrown out, especially Mm -hmm. when you get into, like, people who are more powerful like men in politics and stuff when those cases get tossed out they're like and I remember having a conversation with someone they're like I'm inclined to agree with this man because they said that she did that he didn't do it and it was thrown thrown out I think people discount the fact that when a woman comes out saying something happened to her she's kind of in a sense re-victimizing herself because she's opening herself up to all the people that are going to like attack her and you know they're going to attack her credibility they're going to attack her character everything mm-hmm. nobody takes into account that even if she doesn't get her case pushed through and nobody you know convicts this man they don't take into account that she's just opened herself up to pain again
0: yeah and also just retelling the story is very yeah. painful because you put yourself in that time again mm-hmm. and the telling of what happened is not just words coming out of your mouth but the reliving of those emotions mm-hmm. the fear the vulnerability all of those things you know the anxiety and also the anxiety on top of that of not being believed (laughs) yeah which i found at least like during my case that that is always the case and sometimes i have to now i have had that experience i have to distance myself and always kind of prepare myself to not be believed which Mm is (laughs) it's kind of insane because in that sense, just by default, you're not getting equal protection.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's very problematic for society when just the expectation is so different. You know, mm-hmm. like we seem to live in different worlds.
1: Yeah. Um, I studied like women and gender studies. I remember mm-hmm. being in a class one time where we had we were talking about women in like reference to like the law and justice. And we had to split up into groups and we had to come up with like an Uber type service. Like a a fake one that would be specifically designed to make women feel safe. And I remember sitting down in this group, there was, like, one guy there. And it was, like, me, another girl, maybe two other girls and a guy. And the guy was like, I don't think the first thing a woman thinks about when she gets into a car is whether or not her Uber driver is going to, like assault her or something and this girl and I like made eye contact across the table like that's the first thing she thinks about (laughs) that's definitely the first thing it's like that's the first thing she thinks about before she walks out her door to go anywhere Mm -mm. yeah yeah
0: and that's the thing is always will this person who I encounter will this person do something that's inappropriate you know yeah um
1: but it shows like these whole two different worlds that like men and women are on like this guy over here has no clue And we're like, yes, that's the first thing we think about when we wake up in the morning and we open our door and we go anywhere.
0: Yeah, and that's, again, a societal level problem because there's not enough protection. Mm -hmm. Now we have to take upon ourselves to protect ourselves. And so we have to be Mm hyper-vigilant. And that is not exactly helpful in terms of having good interpersonal relationships. Yeah. You know, you're always reserving something. Mm -hmm. And guys don't think of that and they just think of but i want your number why don't you give me a number i'm I'm such a nice guy and you know that's one of the things that guys
1: say that always gets to me but i'm such a
0: nice guy like if you're saying that you're probably
1: yeah or i love it like why don't you just come over i'm like no i'm good don't know you that well let's meet publicly yeah exactly (laughs) especially with online dating right Mm -hmm. it's
0: uh, it's a lot of if you have our lawn bells or even like wind chimes going in off in your head you're kind of like I'm just gonna be on the safe side on this because I know if something happens most likely I'm not gonna get remedied for
1: it Mm -hmm.
0: And so, if guys, if you feel frustrated, this is why, and this is why you should be, you know, advocating for equal rights laws. Mm-hmm. This is why the equal rights amendment should be passed, mm-hmm. because uh, unfortunately, we are second-class citizens that so we are not treated equal, and it's very intersectional as well. And transgender women, especially transgender women of color, face so much more violence than other cisgender women of different colors it's just like so frustrating to be encountering this even though i know we probably always say things like well it's 2019 but it's not linear Mm -hmm. progression is not unfortunately linear
1: a lot of times with progression like if you look at history it's like you get a lot of setbacks like you move forward then you go back like 10 steps and then you move forward again later yeah takes a long time it's really easy to go backwards it's really hard to get Go forward. Yeah,
0: and I, I feel like that's because ignorance is a default. Mm-hmm. We are born ignorant. We do not have transgenerational memory. We don't basically build on the memory of our previous ancestors. Yeah. So we have to learn anew, and that just opened up a lot of possibilities for things going terribly wrong.
1: <laughs> I also think a lot of it is fear. Like when things start to move forward, and people in power start to fear losing. A certain amount of power they push back
0: right um, and
1: they tend to push back hard when they do that
0: yes and and that makes you think what exactly are you protecting you
1: Your know own self-interest
0: yeah and of course they would never come out and say i support my ability to grow women whenever the heck i feel like it but that is what they're That's protecting basically
1: what it is yeah. yeah yeah yeah
0: and they keep saying this is you know oh you're not being fair you're assuming guilt We're like, no, we're just being careful.
1: Yeah, it's like it's not fair that I have to always be concerned that the person I'm about to run into might be someone who can hurt me. Yeah. Like every single person. Yeah. That's not fair either, but I have to deal with it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately.
1: So it's like, yes, it's not fair to always assume that every man you run into is going to be guilty of doing something that might hurt you, but it's also not fair that I have to worry about that. So. Yeah,
0: and it's not fair that if something happens, there's no remedy for it, or yeah. I have to fight so much harder for the remedy, mm-hmm. and because of that we have to be so much more careful about prevention mm-hmm. and so you know you're gonna have to deal with it and and for men to cry about this oh like you never did give a date anymore well hey you know this is the concept. change your approach <laughs> yeah change your approach and also change the laws mm-hmm. so that we can feel more comfortable about taking reasonable risks yeah because now it's always like oh she's at that's why I was listing these things that are total opposites. You know, mm-hmm. she cared too much, she cared too little. The goalposts forever moves, mm-hmm. even within the person who's demanding it, mm-hmm. within one person who's demanding it. And I agree with that. What can we do with that? I
1: don't know. Uh, anyway. I wanted to also ask you, do you watch comedy at all? I do. Have you seen anything with Michelle Wolf? I love her. So well, your part about the ladies, like how that's kind of like a bad word, how it kind of keeps you know, us yeah. contained, made me think of Michelle Wolf, like have <laughs> you seen her new Netflix special? No I haven't. She kind of talks about that a little bit in her show, so like when I was reading it, I had just watched the special, oh, right, when goodness, I was reading your poem, she was going on about how, oh we don't do that because we're ladies, and then you were saying the whole thing about ladies, and I was just like, yeah ladies, like the whole the concept of being a lady, like air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of limits you as a woman. It's like, oh, you have to be proper, and you can't say, like bad words and you can't not smile and like all this stuff
0: yeah exactly yeah. It's, we we have such a, a very defined path for us you mm-hmm. know we live in a very narrow hallway that mm-hmm. we can walk down and sometimes we don't even know where the limits are and it's like oh you bumped into it and you get electric shocks yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> and I, I really do feel like a rat in a maze sometimes mm-hmm. um because as she said these are the expectations ladies especially like in connotation with the old charm schools and Mm -hmm. finishing schools like that coming out parties things like that all of these ideas of oh no you've hit puberty i mean coming out parties is basically getting you betrothed so you can start having pushing out babies yeah (laughs) it's like taking advantage of your fertile years mm-hmm. and the funny thing you know like a lot of these things historically that's been blamed on women like the gender of the child is mm-hmm. actually dependent on men yeah <laughs> you know yeah women were being hurt to being killed for these things We're mm-hmm. not delivering the
1: right gender child even
0: male uh mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah
1: and it's still a big problem like it caused, like, in China, like, the disproportionate number of boys to girls. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Did so you then... see John
0: Oliver? He... No. Yeah. I think, when was it? A couple months back, I want to say October or something, he did a in-depth investigation on that because they just ended that policy. Apparently yeah, now yeah. you can have two children
1: yeah everyone because you can only have one child everyone was either like getting rid of or giving up their their girl babies Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because everyone wants a boy but then the problem is if you have no girls you can't continue the population yeah
0: people don't think that way because they think of their self-interest and this was especially happening in in more rural areas and farming areas where they think oh the boys could be labor force Mm -hmm. so again it's like why do you have children
1: yeah i also remember i forgot I don't want to be wrong about this. Uh, I remember reading about, I think, certain parts of China where, because of, like, the inconsistent numbers of girls to boys, there was, like, bride kidnapping going on.
0: I think you might have touched on that. I don't remember. Yeah, they,
1: they yeah. would—because it, it's kind of like an old tradition, I guess, or something. You steal the bride— from Her family, and then like you have, she has to marry you, and like there are some weird things going on.
0: Yeah, there's it, some cultures that have that, but yeah. I don't know if it was China that I think I heard it's in about. maybe
1: some of the certain like rural areas. Yeah, I could, could be could wrong, be about. The,
0: um, cultures has that.
1: But I know that, like, the disproportionate numbers kind of had an effect on that, too. Yeah,
0: and there's a lot of infanticide in India going on as well,
1: even though there's no real... um, Yeah, whenever they find out they're having girls, they get rid of it. It's like the silent um, female genocide.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And again, it's like, uh, with all these boys, what are you going to do? And one of the things that he talked about in that segment is how popular Silicon dolls are now. As yeah, because there's not enough women. But the f- too many men. Well, not even that. It's like, how do the men think of women as companions?
1: They think of them as possessions. I think that's the problem that you have with rape culture. Like, that's the problem. Like, that's the point of my poem, too, is like, men look at women, like, especially in a patriarchal system where you're kind of taught to value women in a certain mm-hmm. way. Men look at women as objects and possessions before they look at them as people. Yeah. So. A if silicone, they ever... Yeah, if they the ever time. look at it. So a silicone doll is not too far removed from a woman if you only ever saw her as, like, a toy.
0: Right. As something that... It's actually easier because she can't doesn't say talk no back. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing when he was talking about that in that mm-hmm. segment. I was thinking, well, if that business is taking off, then how do the men look at women in general, right? Um, like we're less than human. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so... I have so many poems about the <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a never ending font of yes. ideas, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it really is. And the way these things are debated as well. It's incremental in terms of oh, and to what degree can men molest women? I'm not like, no, you need to get permission.
1: Yeah. Before or...
0: you touch, before you do anything. We're not things for you to just, you know, take a hold of, you yeah, know, grab yeah. a handful, anything like that. Yet that's not the standard. It's more working off of, okay, now we can't rape them during marriage anymore.
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, I think that the problem also is that, like, like socially and politically, women have to, like, fight so much harder to have control over their body just in general
0: for yeah. everything
1: so like it's not a far stretch as a man to be like oh i guess i'm just do this to her because does she really have a say anyway
0: right exactly and and societal loss also signals uh everyday behavior mm-hmm. you know we do have somebody who's
1: a predator sexual predator a lot of them actually yeah <laughs> unfortunately
0: yeah but you know now in the in the most powerful position. You know, yeah. still arguably in the world yeah and unfortunately yeah and to people is just not a big deal as you said you know women are seen as possessions so if you see something as a possession then what's the big deal you can do whatever
1: you want with it. Mm-hmm. and that's really the problem i think that's like the problem that if you really want to boil it like, break culture down or something really simple it's the fact that women are not viewed as people yeah That's really what it is. And like then once you start getting into all the intersections of it, like if you're a person of color, if you're trans, if you're part of the LGBTQ community at all, like then you're looked at less and less and less like a human. Yeah,
0: yeah. And there's always a hierarchy. And it's like, who the fuck are you to put us on some kind of ladder, right? Mm -hmm. But to them, it's like, oh, this is how I categorize the world. Mm -hmm. Again, as a society, we need to change the way we view women, period. We need to come... a completely different standard rather than fighting this incrementally saying oh this year we're no longer allowing you know bosses to ask their employees out you know that's now (laughs) frowned upon don't hit on them even if you ask them you should not be asking because there's a power dynamic yeah why didn't anybody think of this before it's not like a new thing you know it's funny because i've been watching deep space nine star trek I don't know if you know like floating on the internet it's like Simpson or South Park predicted what's going on in 2019 this and that. I
1: haven't seen that now. Yeah
0: there are videos on those and I was watching Deep Space Nine I was like Deep Space Nine also predicted 2019. (laughs) (laughs) And there there were some things I don't know if you're familiar with show at all i've heard of it but i've never seen it okay yeah it's okay so uh, one of the characters is this money grubbing little it's called ferengi and they basically go by the principle of money is god and he was going to be like their president Mm -hmm. and he refused the job on principle because apparently under his dad's presidency and they have put in reforms where the bosses are no longer able to coerce their employees to sleep with them he was like then what's the point of that i was like god this is so amazingly like clairvoyantly relevant yeah <laughs> and it's kind of ironic because the show's premise is that The main character, the lead character of the space station, the leader. Even though he's an earthling, he actually is part, an emissary for the gods that these people worship. So he came with a lot of vision. Interesting. Yeah, so it was interesting. I'll have to look, that sounds
1: really interesting, actually.
0: Amazon, if you like Star Trek at all. Not the the new version. The new version is just like any action movie.
1: Yeah, I've seen a little, the new version a little bit, because yeah. uh, my mom loves it, yeah. but it's a little too actiony for me, and I kind of like things that have, like, maybe a little action, or they have, like, a storyline, like, fantasy, but they have, like, some kind of social commentary to make too yeah I think there's more artistry to it when there's something like
0: that going on yeah well all of the comic books all of the star trek they all have social commentary mm-hmm. the original version star trek is one of the most progressive shows in its own time because it yeah. has such a multi-racial cast it mm. was the first show to have a biracial kiss all of these things, it was not very progressive in terms of gender relations. Mm-mm. Just looking at those skirts, you kind of and Captain Kirk slept with every female, yeah. whatever humanoid-looking yeah. thing. That's <laughs> you
1: know. have uh, Have you ever seen the Orville, the comic strip? Right? No, yeah. the uh, TV show. No. If you like the Star Trek, like the old ones, you should watch it because it's. I mean, it's a modern show, but it makes a lot of like social commentary on like. The use of social media is kind of like the social judge and jury platform Mm -hmm. um, and like on gay and lesbian relationships. Mm -hmm. And like, it has a lot of social commentary that's very relevant to right now. I kind of of feel like it's the modern Star Trek in a way. Cool.
0: Yeah, like you said, comics as well. The X-Men was post-World War II, so it had a lot of commentary on Mm anti-Semitism and xenophobia Mm -hmm. because it portrayed people from different parts of the world as like mutants and fighting for their rights and so it coincided with uh, the civil rights movement Mm -hmm. so there are all of these like really subtle things that was completely lost when it got translated into hollywood movies now it's just like hey a beautiful city let's destroy it in the name of saving it
1: now it's more like it's gotten lost in the whole sci-fi fantasy genre so it's like are you a star wars fan or a star trek fan yeah a Star Trek fan, <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: care, <laughs> but anyway, so <laughs> just in closing, um, I was wondering where people can see you read now that you're here and you're
1: discovering stuff. Figuring that yeah, out, I'm it'll okay. probably mostly be around the Phoenix area because uh-huh. that's what it will be, but I, I haven't found all the open mics yet. It's gonna take me some time to figure it out, but um, I have an Instagram and a Facebook, Woman is Right for both of them.
0: Woman as Riot. Yeah. Okay.
1: okay. Woman as and Oh, Woman as Riot. Yeah. And I have a YouTube channel that doesn't have a specific name on it because YouTube won't let me, but it's linked to my Instagram. Oh, cool.
0: Cool. So
1: whenever I do open mics, I try to record them, so I'll try to keep posting my videos up cool, there. Cool. All right. Yeah. Well. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for
0: inviting me. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. In addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. I'm your host, Imogen A. Reet. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.